K-Start Podcasts. Hi, uh, this is Anil Gupta. I'm uh, Michael Dingman Chair in Strategy, Globalization and Entrepreneurship at the Smith School of Business, the University of Maryland at College Park uh, in the U.S. Uh, in this podcast, I would like to talk about how the era of innovation today, uh, how innovation uh, is thought about, how it is being practiced, uh, how, how that is different uh, from, for example, say 20 years back, 30 years back. And essentially, I look at four different ways uh, in which innovation today is different from yesterday. And the four together, uh, in a way we can say, constitute the new innovation paradigm. The first I talk about is a 360 degree innovation. Essentially, the what's different about today as compared to yesterday uh, is the onward march of technology. The technology revolution, even if we say it is continuing at the same pace as in the past, but the pace is geometric, which means that uh, within any 10 year time frame, uh, the pace of innovation is far greater uh, than uh, in any other 10 year time frame, even uh, two decades back. Uh, just look at you know what uh, uh, social media meant uh, in uh, the 1990s. You know it meant that basically walking over to your neighbor to borrow a newspaper, uh, and we know what social media means today. Uh, so what's happening is that because of the march of uh, technology, uh, that's uh, number one. Uh, number two uh, is that because of the internet effect, essentially every company. Uh, is operating in a fishbowl environment far more uh, than was the case earlier. Uh, so what you have is uh, you know, massive transparency. And what that transparency does, uh, it makes business models uh, faster, easier to copy uh, by competitors. Uh, it makes the company's products and services uh, and even internal operations a lot more visible uh, to customers and suppliers and partners uh, so essentially what that does is that the get, combined with the technology revolution, uh, the transparency, uh, it is uh, dramatically reducing the half-life of uh, business models, uh, of, of course, technologies, products and services. Uh, and so companies uh, need to become innovation machines uh, at a much faster pace uh, than was ever required in the past. Uh, and so that's what I mean by the, the you know, change number one, which is 360-degree innovation. Uh, and I think you know Google is a very good example of that. Uh, the uh, uh, you know now, uh, it, in fact, just over the last few days, uh, it has become. And I would uh, uh, you know say that innovation played obviously the central role in that. Uh, the largest company by market capitalization in the world. And you look at uh, at uh, Google. The innovation takes place uh, at all three levels. You know, one number one is at the core, just in terms of search. For example, uh, all the things that are happening at Google, uh, search not just on the, the desktop, but search on the mobile, uh, vertical search, micro search, uh, and so on. Uh, you look at what's happening, you know, somewhat slightly outside the core. Uh, you know, and if you look at just over the last uh, five, seven years, uh, what Google has done in terms of Android, uh, the, all the innovations related to, uh, to that, 
uh, and then Google Wallet and other things that are taking place. And then uh, all the innovations that Google is pursuing really kind of beyond uh, even uh, this second ring uh, around the company's core, uh, which is, you know, has to do with robotics and driverless cars, uh, you know, or life sciences, finding a cure for cancer and so on. So if you can look at really Google as a prototypical example of 360 degree innovation on every front, uh, incessant uh, at the core, as well as, uh, let's say, uh, at the periphery. So that's uh, change number one. Change number two is what I would say distributed innovation. And distributed innovation really, uh, uh, what that means is that, you know, if you look at just the uh, geographically, the, the evolution of globalization, uh, that uh, sometime around, uh, let's say, uh, you know, of course, uh, going back even uh, a few hundred years back, used to be globalization of markets. About around, say, 1980s, we, su uh, we saw the globalization of manufacturing. Uh, but what we had then in the 1990s, we began to see the globalization of white-collar work, uh, business services, for example, to places like India. But now what we are beginning to see is really the globalization of R&D. Uh, so, you know, you just look at, uh, for instance, GE, uh, that the clearly uh, their core R&D center, research center, uh, is in New York, the one that Thomas Edison set up. Uh, but, you know, they're, at least in terms of the number of scientists and engineers working, their largest R&D center in the world right now is in Bangalore. Uh, and so that, and the Bangalore R&D center for GE is not doing research for GE India, but really, in fact, it's doing research for GE globally. And, you know, this type of distributed innovation is happening uh, because talent and ideas are no longer confined or, uh, or, you know, just within the boundaries of the so-called developed economies, uh, be that US, Japan, Germany, and the like, uh, that in fact, countries like India, like China, like Philippines, like Brazil, are becoming very important players in the innovation game. Uh, just uh, over the last uh, uh, two, three days, uh, there was a <clears throat> news item uh, in the papers that Ford Motor Company, for example, is transforming its R&D activities, engineering activities in India, is going to transform the engineering center into, uh, in India into actually a global engineering center and where they will develop uh, a platform for small, for compact cars uh, that would be for Ford, not just in India, but for Ford worldwide. So that's really uh, kind of the, the, the second dimension, second type of change uh, that's happening in the era of innovation. We can see, you know, whether companies like Alibaba, for instance, uh, as they get involved uh, in India. Already we can look at companies like Huawei, uh, which are already uh, extremely active in India. How companies, whether they are from China or from US or other places, uh, they are leveraging, uh, in fact, the availability of talent and ideas uh, around the world uh, to, uh, in fact, uh, march ahead, race ahead on the innovation frontier. So that's number two. The third dimension that I would like to uh, focus on uh, is uh, really, uh, in fact, distributed 
uh, innovation. Uh, and distribute, uh, uh, by distributed here, I don't mean geographically distributed innovation. What I mean is a collaborative innovation. And by collaborative innovation, what I mean is innovation that is done not just in the company's R&D labs, uh, be they uh, in the home country or other countries, but actually collaboration that's done jointly with other companies. Uh, and clearly, Apple is a perfect example of uh, collaborative innovation. So you look at, uh, in fact, uh, Apple's, the, the chip, uh, the, in fact, you know, some of the work on the chip uh, is done within Apple. Uh, some of the other work is done uh, with other, uh, in fact, chip design partners. Uh, you look at the Apple Glass. Originally, uh, uh, that glass was developed uh, for the iPhone by uh, Corning, uh, the Gorilla Glass. Uh, you look at the all the apps, the reason why you and I buy a smartphone uh, is uh, not because you know it's a beautiful piece of hardware, but actually uh, because of all the hundreds of thousands of millions of apps that potentially we can access and use. And you look at what percent of those apps are actually developed by Apple, less than 1%. Uh, so, so whether we look at hardware or software or apps, uh, the Apple is a good example of what's happening in terms of the, the disaggregation of value chains, the disaggregation of innovation, but at the same time, the need for collaborative innovation, uh, where you know it's not one company doing the innovation and essentially passing it on, throwing it you know off the wall uh, to another partner, but working together. So that's change number three, and the change number four is what I would say frugal innovation. And frugal innovation really, uh, again, uh, India becomes a or has become a major part uh, of that story. And, you know, but this is bigger than India. This is really about the rise of emerging markets, uh, which make up 80% of the world's population, but only about uh, 35% uh, of the world's GDP. What that means is uh, that even, for instance, a country like China, uh, which is far ahead of most of the emerging markets in terms of the stage of economic development, that China is the second largest economy in the world, uh, but China's per capita income is still uh, only a fraction uh, of uh, that of the US, only one-tenth that of the US. Uh, the per capita income in India, for example, India is already the seventh or eighth largest economy in the world, but the per capita income in India is like one-thirtieth, one-thirty-one-fortieth that of the US. Uh, so, uh, but you know, these countries, emerging markets like China or India or Nigeria, uh, are no longer isolated, uh, no longer uh, content with just being poor, uh, and so therefore the needs of the billions of consumers uh, in emerging markets are now becoming a major driver of innovation. Uh, and so that's what I mean by frugal innovation, which is really frugal in terms of the how much it costs uh, and how it is priced. Uh, so that's one aspect of frugality. And the second aspect of frugality, of course, is uh, in terms of its impact on the environment. Uh, because we can look around, uh, the, uh, there is no way, uh, in fact, as 80% of the world's population uh, begins to move ahead 
uh, begins to become richer, they can, that they can afford to consume resources, that they can afford to, uh, in fact, have a damaging effect on the environment, uh, that the kind of uh, economic development that today's advanced countries uh, went through uh, in their own earlier uh, stage of uh, development. Uh, so therefore, the development of emerging market economies uh, will have to be uh, driven much more, uh, in fact, by frugality in terms of the impact on the environment also. Uh, and you know, clearly, the uh, effort by Tata Motors, uh, the launch of Tata Nano, but not just Tata Nano, you know, lots of other examples of frugal innovation. We can look at in the health imaging uh, diagnostic uh, arena, uh, where the uh, GE, for instance, uh, has uh, uh, launched uh, MAC 400, uh, coming out of uh, their R&D efforts in uh, India, uh, medical diagnostic imaging ECG machines. You know, that cost a fraction of the ECG machine uh, that GE sells in the developed markets. So, uh, to summarize, if you look at the kinds of ways in which innovation today differs from that of, uh, say, about 20 years back. Number one, 360-degree uh, innovation, because the half-life of products, technologies, services, business models is declining rapidly. Uh, number two is geographically distributed innovation, uh, as uh, reflected, for instance, uh, in what uh, companies like Ford Motor are uh, doing. Uh, using India as a launch pad for the development of global platforms, new uh, global platforms. Uh, number three uh, is uh, collaborative innovation or open innovation uh, exemplified by Apple uh, that is driven really by uh, incessant disaggregation of value chains and companies becoming more focused in terms of what they do within their own boundaries. And number four, is really the rise of emerging markets and the imperative uh, and the opportunities that it offers uh, in terms of uh, frugal innovation. So put together, this is what I would, you know, these four are what I would say constitute uh, the new innovation paradigm. Mm -hmm.